and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, Episode 5. I'm your host, Kamran Shushtar, and with me is... I'm Brandon from Apollo City Comics. And with us is a special guest, uh, our first third share in this ever-rotating cast that we'll have for this show is my friend from Up To It, Down To It, Miles Dill. Hello, everybody. I'm Miles Dill. Uh, some of you might know me as Count from Twitter, but I'm very happy to be on the show with Kamran and Brandon. And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was saying, yeah, this month's pick, um, it's very unique. You know, we've covered uh, David Fincher, and then last month was our first first month of Bond films. And this is something that's so new, well, to me, on my end, we had to bring in an expert on this one just to bring some more insight for you guys. I don't have the the book smart knowledge like I did with uh, the Bond movies, and Cameron knows expansion that i can't even say that word right now cameron knows a lot more than i do about this topic so <laughs> i'm like I'm the so middleman here yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah this month is miyazaki month so we're watching we watched uh nausicaa of the valley of the wind and this is what this episode will be about starting off here and i was introduced to this uh movie by miles so i thought who better to bring on then miles the man who really introduced me to honestly miyazaki in general he was kind of my gateway into all of this and learning about all these awesome animated films and just to kind of talk about it too like miles what got you into nausicaa when you first like started watching miyazaki all right so um one, one thing i find really funny is i was actually like i was i was a geek when i was a kid and I actually didn't like anime. I actually thought it was like kind of stupid or like I, I had that stereotypical interpretation of it. And I had a cousin who was really big into anime, but like the stuff he used to watch seemed a little too intense or scary for me. So I still didn't really like it. And um, one day my dad and I got into this hobby of renting a movie every day because we were like, if we get too busy or something, if we at least watch a movie, we'll feel as if we like relaxed. Um, so it, it was a, a nice like tradition. And um, he brought home basically Valley of the Wind and Porco Rosso. And I remember looking at the covers for both movies and being like, I don't know, dude, like I'm not into these types of movies. And he's like, well, you enjoyed Spirited Away. And I was like, well, yeah, I saw, that was the first one I saw, but I didn't really remember it. And I was like, yeah, but like, that's a kid's movie. And he's like, yeah, these ones might be different. And we watched both of them that night. And it was like, you know, mind boggling. It was crazy. I had no idea like an animated film could cover all these topics and be so in depth on certain items. And from there, I think not only just anime, but foreign films in general, especially foreign animated films have been a priority of mine to watch. That's awesome. awesome. That, that's kind of funny. Um, I was very much in that same kind of mindset as a kid where I was just like, I'm not into anime. I'm not like too, you know, the artwork doesn't get uh, me very much. And I kind of grew up on the whole Batman, the animated series and X-Men and Spider-Man. Stuff same, like that. same. So yeah, that's like the, what you expect, like how dramatic they were. And then seeing the over dramatization in anime, I was like, ah, I don't get the whole bulging eyeballs and stuff like that. And I never like dove into it at all you know and i've heard of all these movies for years um this was my first time watching it and i gotta say like you know i'm glad we chose this because i was blown away it reminded me a lot of like one of my favorite animated movies ever is the uh, heavy metal movie 
Um, and it's made by... Oh, yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, dude. And it reminded me of that animation. It gave me that same vibe, and I was already hooked just for, like, that style and that texture, and it just felt, you know, unique in a sense. Oh, for sure. I I think one thing anime films... Sorry sorry to interject. No, 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 I was done. Um, A lot of anime films I find are super impressive, or at least my favorite ones, is, like, a lot of Western films or European films, they rely on rotoscoping Mm -hmm. uh, to get across certain movements and stuff. I think it's phenomenal how Japanese animators for a long time were the only animators capable of like making characters act naturalistically without rotoscoping. So you didn't have that like slowness to them. They actually felt like even more vibrant and alive than actual actors, which I think is like an incredible way to portray um, characters. And like Disney kind of caught up because like they had their kind of golden films in the same era too. But um, it's neat to think that before the proliferation of computer-assisted 2D animation, or even before that expertise was like widely known, that these guys pioneered and executed such a, I guess, science almost, as well as an art so exactly so early. Like it's just a dope thing to look at. Dude, absolutely. Because we're next month we're doing some Ralph Bakshi uh, films, and he did like American Ooh. Pop, um, Fritz the Cat, which is. <laughs> If you guys haven't seen yeah, that, one. Fire and Ice, <laughs> like, yeah, fire real and ice. underground movie. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, the original, like animated Lord of the Rings, and it's exactly that. It's rotoscoping, and you can tell how like stiff their movements are. Um, so much so, they would get like actual live action footage, and then just kind of illustrate over it and use that for mm-hmm. the cinematics, um, just because they needed that quicker feeling, and they couldn't get that down. But you're absolutely right, dude super fluid supernatural like it just felt like a, a film and going to the date and looking at animation during that time is this was unheard of super great yeah for sure and um, you had like projects like say akira mm-hmm. where you know they're going for a really mature audience and that's that's largely kind of inaccessible to a lot of people so i gotta applaud i believe it was actually pixar that did the localization efforts for Miyazaki's film because oh, wow. they had been localized once. Like Valley of the Wind got brought to English audiences, English speaking audiences once, and the movie was recut to try and be an action movie. And it was called like Zatara Warriors of the Wind or some ridiculousness. And um, Miyazaki was so offended that he, he actually vowed never to bring a movie to the West again. And then some guys at Pixar, unfortunately, I feel like if there's even bigger experts listening, they might be mad I don't remember the names. But anyways, uh, Pixar, or by extension, artists who were heavily associated with Pixar, were able to get uh, Miyazaki to allow them to do the localization efforts. And they actually got A-list celebrities to do the voices and proper sound mixing and appropriately uh, dub the film. And I think it's almost just as good as the uh, animation, the evo- like that type of voice acting and presentation, I think is almost integral to, to how it was received as a classic by modern audiences. Because if they had like the, the cheesy 80s or 90s dub that you're so accustomed to from films of that era, I don't think it would have had the cultural impact that it does now. Yeah, definitely. And, Looking at, like, if anyone ever checks it out, look at the IMDb cast list of just the English cast. You got to scroll down a bit for it. But 
you have such a strong group of people in here and you never would have guessed that they're all in this movie you have like patrick stewart you have shia labeouf is in it <laughs> yeah. as a kid uh mark hamill mm-hmm. you have a lot of different people edward james almost is in this like L- you Luma don't Thurman's in it yeah and you don't expect like this strong of a cast to be in here to the point where even <laughs> chris sarandon is in this. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's yeah. such a strong cast of people and you're honestly so ingrained in the film you don't necessarily guess who it is you're just kind of in it because they feel so in line with these characters which uh, just a small comparison like in the last year or so I've watched the original Mobile Suit Gundam animes from the 80s and 70s and you know, the I've been watching the dubs for some, and the cast is a lot different, and you don't know who they are, but it feels so artificial compared to, like, the Japanese versions, where you're kind of mm-hmm. laughing because some of it's, honestly, it's aged a little differently, and you're it's more kind of hilarious the way they act in it, and you're like, are you sure this is supposed to be the way it is? And then you kind of see a Japanese scene instead, and you're like, oh, this is completely different yeah. in terms it, of It's so tone. funny how, like, I guess in Gundam-specific example... The English dub is like a superhero show, yeah. and then you, the Japanese dub is like a, a war epic. Like the tone changes like so drastically. Um, and I guess to make that relevant to, to Nausicaa, what I thought was um, pretty interesting about, I guess, the way they wanted to, I guess, present these things is because the the movies deal with uh, serious concepts. Like one thing I admire Miyazaki for is he felt he never felt that kids were unable to grip a concept. So it's like a war film for children, which is really, really unusual. I mean, it's in Japan, that type of stuff is kind of normal because uh, they have a different view of censorship, uh, especially for products for children, uh, uh, in contrast to the States. But um, what I find is, is immensely curious about Nausicaa Valley of the Wind is here you have like a movie which on paper is like virtually impossible to have a Westerner make that movie with the intention to show it to kids. So um, I think the the cast is almost a way they could sell it to the parents. Like if they looked at the, the case like I don't know or if they watched their kid watch it and they heard Patrick Stewart Oh, that's the voice from Star Trek. That's the guy from Star. Oh, maybe this this movie's all right. So yeah, it's it's a really neat uh, marketing trick as well as a great piece of the art, in my opinion. Do you know? Um, I was just asking Cameron uh, before we started recording, but this was made in 1984. And when did they do the English dub over it? I think they that was fairly recent. Personally, I'm not familiar with the, the release of the English dub because I don't know if this did a theatrical run like Princess Mononoke did. Uh-huh. Um, this might have been a home release effort, but you know, here we are with conjecture. Maybe we can just Google search this right now. Because it's, uh, you know, Mark Hamill's voice is the one that stood out to me the most because I've seen him in everything, you know? And halfway through, I was just like, man, so if we have young Shiloh and we have Patrick Stewart who sounds pretty middle-aged he doesn't sound too old and Mark doesn't have like that high-pitched tone to his voice yet so I'm I'm thinking I don't know I was thinking maybe 
mid nineties or something. I, I don't know. If I this know. Happened. Hey, guess guess what? It's um two thousand and five, so it's actually really? quite late. Oh, whoa! Wow! That's yeah. a eleven years later. Dang. Damn. Yeah. So it, it really was um as to my earlier point, it really was Pixar, or at least um some of the heads associated with Pixar who made this concerted effort because they had visited Japan and. I actually heard a really good anecdotal story when I was at me and Tom all went to the same college um, in school. One of the professors was like, when I first saw Nausicaa, they didn't even have English subtitles. Oh, wow. However, the animation at the time and like the presentation of it was so captivating that he watched the whole movie without even knowing what was being said. And uh, <laughs> had an issue explaining it to his co-workers when he came back from Japan. He's like, I saw this awesome movie. I don't know what it's called. I don't know any of the characters' names. And like was explaining and they were like, okay, dude, like that sounds like a like you watched the fun movie. But he's like, you guys don't get it. Like it's like it looks like an experience. So I, I can only imagine that yeah enough people saw it to where they were like, this has to get to the West. Like there's no way we're gonna let this sleep. That's too cool. And it, you know kind of some of the themes uh that are revolving around it and you compare it to like what american movies were being made around those same things like um the environment where it involves like insects to like the forest and all that like the first thing i thought of was a uh, fern gully and like comparing the oh, two yeah. their approach it's just like fern gully's badass i haven't seen it in years but i remember loving that movie because it was just crazy um but comparing the two it's just like nausicaa just it feels so much more natural, way more gripping. I feel like the message even there wasn't like in your face. It was presented in a way where you're just like, oh, damn, like you're like realizing stuff. And instead of being told and like fed like the theme and the message, this was very kind of just like just watch the movie and feel with the characters and see where it takes you. And your your eyes are being opened as it happens. But American films, whenever they try to portray these type of messages, it's like right there in your face like they're just basically telling you the answer instead of you having to like realize it and they have so many like layers to their themes too you know Um, yeah one of them that stood out to me the most was just like if you approach something with anger you're going to get anger back in return and just how to handle that and how to like actually take you know if you have a stance on something how to approach things how to like make someone listen to you how to make you know different types of things listen to you um is super just amazing and for a child to learn that like aimed at that direction that's i would love to show like my kid this movie if i ever had one because i mean damn it's just it's just something it's like you can learn from it right away no matter how old you are so one thing i think is ingenious about the valley of the wind and especially with the point you mentioned where it's like how anger can reflect back to you. Uh-huh. So Miyazaki in his notes and interviews, he's made offhanded comments to, I believe he might've flat out confirmed it, but there's this whole notion that um, Queen Kushana is designed to be the exact same person as Nausicaa, just raised in two different societies. And um, what I think is really interesting about that dynamic it's explored more in the manga because uh, the movie really covers only two arts in the in the manga. Oh wow! But um, yeah, the manga is a really good read because you get to see the full extent of the story and world, and that's amazing. Like, I think it's probably one of the best comics in general I've ever read. Oh wow, that's um, cool. So, like, one thing I enjoyed about, I guess, having both Kushana and Nausicaa in the movie is um, Kushana not like a Western villain 
doesn't explicitly die or get crushed. Like in Western movies, the antagonist gets punished. Like, you know, you're not supposed to act this way. There you go. Um, one thing I thought was pretty amazing is they make a character that's sympathetic to almost two types of children, like compassionate and sensitive children, and then like aggressive and rambunctious children. And you get to see the resolutions in the story happen like pretty in an exciting way, but in both ways, they're both right. And in both ways, they get a proper karmic resolution without it being overtly one succeeds and one dies, which I think is really clever. Yeah, that's super, you know, just doing that, that like opposing sides of like, they're the same thing, but the opposites of each other, like seeing that was like mm. so clear and it was so great seeing how the characters reacted when that was pointed out to them too. Um, towards the end where you have the one guy saying, you know, like my hands like are, I have the same disease as like the king. And, but Nausicaa, she always says like these hands are like working man's hands and they're amazing. And it's just, just her reaction towards that. Like seeing that somebody gave this guy sympathy and then she turns around and mm -hmm. it's just like, you know what? Nah, fuck this. We're just going to bomb them all now. Um, just out of spite because she knows she can't be that. It was like, damn, yeah. like it's, jealousy like just ramped up out of just the sense of like i'm not going to try to do that like i you she already thinks she can yeah. without even trying and it, it's so such a good way to present things like you're never gonna you know you're never gonna learn anything if you don't look at yourself and try to like accept that type of feedback um and just the real. It's presented it's just it's beautiful it's super simple yeah and like, you definitely um, or sorry oh, go ahead uh, okay, so so this is my last point. I want to talk more about the movie than, than digress into the manga. And also, I don't want to spoil any surprises, but I think the only flaw I hold against the movie is, you know how Nausicaa has this amazing gift of sensitivity that they show you? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the, the flip side of the coin that Kushana has that the manga is able to elaborate on in a different story arc that you don't get to see in the movie is she has this incredible way to inspire loyalty and perseverance in her soldiers. Hmm. So like Nausicaa's villagers are Kushana's regiment. And like the scene they have equivalent to, I guess, Kushana being like angry and jealous at um, Nausicaa for being able to like sympathize with everyone so well. Like there's even a part where Nausicaa comforts a dying soldier and, and he's able to pass away peaceably despite being like gravely wounded. And she's like, I've never been able to comfort a dying soldier like that. But on the flip side, there's a part where um, Kushana's regiment is surrounded by, um, they're, they're under siege by enemy forces. And the, the soldiers and the bugs are about to overrun this fortress. But then Kushana's like, we're going to have to stage a breakout. And, you know, the soldiers are like, this is impossible. We're low on ammunition. And she's like, you know what? Like, Nausicaa, get on your, your mount and we'll get the armored cavalry together. And we'll ride out and we'll show them how to break out of the siege. Like, we'll do it ourselves and we'll lead the charge. And when they go out there, like, Nausicaa's all kind of scared, putting on a brave face. But when she sees how, like, the soldiers react when Kushana's, like, armored column comes out of the castle, it's like, like, that's amazing. It's, it's wonderfully drawn. And, like, the, the narrative, I guess, flow between those two characters, seeing, like, the other end of the spectrum is incredible. So I, I love the movie for what it's able to do with the content, but I, I do feel um, her and Kuratoa, you know, the scheming like second in command. Yeah. Um, he's actually an excellent character in the manga. 
Like he, he has more roles in the stories. He bounces off the characters a bit more, but um, Kingy himself, like as, as like a, the thing that's funny is, is he's like supposed to be a coward or like a sniveling coward, but he's like an extremely competent and extremely clever coward, which is another unusual thing you don't really see in Western movies where that type of character gets like the worst comeuppings, even more so than the main villain sometimes. Oh wow, that's super cool. Yeah, he was like one of the only characters I felt that was a little like obnoxious in some points. Um, yeah, but I would love to check that out. And the uh, the manga is only like what five volumes or something like that, right? It's 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 short, but it is still lengthy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's uh, compared to Akira, it's incredibly short. But um, it why I guess like it, it's not like a graphic novel that you could just read in an afternoon like i would say go in the approach that you're going to be reading this for maybe a month oh wow cool nice okay yeah i was looking at amazon it's like 50 bucks for like the whole box set and i was like this is tempting to do before the show you won't regret it you won't regret it especially after seeing the movie it's really fun to like realize there's more content of that Mm -hmm. and the extent it's presented like it's just as good as the movie i'd say and uh yeah it, it just depends on which medium you like i think both exist concurrently as fantastic representations and one that, in, in being concise and the other in being fleshed out and that's what's cool about mangas especially is that they're can you know they're starting in stories like you could buy a box mm-hmm. set and you're like cool i have this series and not like um, western yeah. comics where it's just like cool i have this box set there's a million other things to, to like chase this. Yeah. Like, Did you get form. to issue 1,300 yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, One Piece right is now. like that. So they, they that is, oh, yeah, One Piece is a, that's a different yeah. beast entirely. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have those ongoing series too. Um, one thing I find it is funny, I guess, to talk about the movie. So one thing people don't really realize, which is another consideration it's fun to go if you want to rewatch it is the movie supposed to take place in post-apocalyptic eastern europe i mean that's really i didn't know that yeah that's that's where all the peoples and like why they look and and their architecture is a certain way and stuff um there's just no i guess specific cultural identities like you couldn't say like tolmechia is this country but if you look at like the history of eastern european like medieval culture even down to some of the modern dynamic, you can actually see a lot of that reflected in how the movies, factions, and cultures operate. You know, Interesting. Looking at Tolmechia, like, for one, it sounds like Tolkien, like, right off the bat. And then when you look at the <laughs> yeah. design of these characters, all, like, in knights and shining armor, swords, and all that type of stuff, I was like, I totally get this vibe. And if that's, like, an inspiration, and if that's where that came from, like, that's too dope. Because, like, knowing how influential that story was since it, uh, well, a few decades after it came out but that would probably been the perfect inspiration for him if that is what like he was going for when he made this i was like man tolmechia token looking at this land that all kind of adds up to tell you the truth yeah and you get three different kingdoms it's like you know the valley of the wind they don't really have their people don't really have a name necessarily they're just like the people of the wind and like that's really it whereas like you have the pedgites you have the tolmechians and it's really awesome how much depth is put into this film compared to like other mediums you see things and i mm-hmm. uh, let let's say in a game you go to a different village that is like you, there's two different villages you go to them people are wearing the exact same thing they look exactly the same there's not much of a difference here every single nation or town 
is completely different in architecture, is in clothing style, just mm. all of that. And even weaponry, like the aesthetic of everything is just unique in, in and of its own. And it's really awesome just to see all of that done in the 80s for this kind of thing. And I, I really love even seeing the differentiation just for the Tolmechians. You get, oh, it's the armored infantry. Then you also have like your kind of standard standard infantry guys are the guys that are usually manning the planes or like mm -hmm. the guys that first storm the castle. They look completely different in design and they're like even handling different weaponry. And I just love the amount of detail that's just put into this. It's so epic. Yeah, no, that's yeah, very true. Good. That stood out a lot. Like just knowing like the different fractions of everyone and, you know, that's a lot of effort to create diff these different lands and make them all unique. And, you know, any type of animation that was going on during this time when this was made, it was just incomparable to this. Dude, like any mm. American Western stuff does just not up to par. Um, and, you know, when you look at movies, animated movies at this time, they were all like an hour, an hour and 10 minutes. This is a two hour film. Like, Yeah, it's truly like a, an epic. Yeah. And looking at it too, I guess going back to it, you know, this is all written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Like, this is his first, I like, first standalone film of his. Because, you know, before this you have Lupin Third, but, you know, that's part of already, an already existing, like, massive franchise of, mm -hmm. like, shows and movies and stuff. But this is his first entry into it. And... It's weird for me to say that, like, oh, yo, hitting it right off the bat, you already gave me your, like, my favorite movie of yours. Yeah. And going through watching all of the other ones later, I do love a lot of them and get a lot of enjoyment. But for some reason, it's just like coming back to this one each time, even though, like, I want to say watching this film again compared to watching it, I'm not sure how long ago it's been. But, like, I've seen a bunch of other Miyazaki films in between, again, like, a couple rewatches and stuff. But seeing this again specifically, I was like, it reminds me every single time. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I love it. And each time, too, I, I just kind of feel like I get something new out of it or a new appreciation for it that I don't normally get even from watching other things like this. Like, it, it definitely hits me a different way than other animated films do. For sure. Uh, one thing that kind of bums me out when I, I watched Nausicaa, especially in contrast to say like Princess Mononoke or Howl's Moving Castle, or even like Porco Rosa, is, is when you read his interviews or when you read the manga or his like earlier content, the, the guy really loved like military, uh, militaria. Like he liked drawing tanks, planes, uh, soldiers, and stories relevant to that as like a young man. And then uh, that's the only movie we get of Miyazaki presenting those concepts in his films. Because when he grew older, he had the more pacifistic route where he felt that portraying violence on screen was like a dead end. And then even to the point where he thought it was ethically wrong, where um, he still used violence to depict stories or, or move drama, but um, using it as like the central narrative of a film uh, ends up phasing out to where like his later films, like say Ponyo, uh, is almost absent. Like there's there's no violence in that film whatsoever, and um, it, it's unfortunate because uh, it, it's something I actually see with a lot of my favorite animators, where they they get like this amazing 
head start where they love military stuff, they love violent stories, they love action, and then they mature out of it, and then they tell completely different stories. And um, so it, it's like a shelf life. And unfortunately, Miyazaki's like action shelf life produced Nausicaa right at the end of it. So I wish he was making movies when he was younger because like you could have seen more Nausicaas or at least stories of that type. And um, like if you, if you ever get the Watercolor Impressions book, which is a, another really cool insightful one because I love this movie so much, I try to pick up as much paraphernalia from it as possible. Uh, he's actually got his, his sketches from when he was formulating the idea. And um, it, it's actually quite a, a different story. So um, Nausicaa is like this cooped up princess and basically gets inspired by uh, Prince, uh, sorry, Patrick Stewart's character. Oh, uh, Lord Yufa? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Lord Yufa. He, he comes down to visit her and brings like all these stories with him. And then that inspires her to go on that adventures. And um, it was actually more of like a samurai epic, like uh, PETA. That character has like samurai armor. There's still planes in it. I don't think there's even guns though, which was really unusual. Like all the planes are these like almost steampunk bird type of things. It's almost like Dune really. And um, I, I wonder if he was influenced by it and it kind of made his own version of Dune or, or a mashup of several different topics. But yeah, it, it's another cool thing to check out because um, uh, I think it's one of those concepts. I do think the final product outshines the original ideas, but it's really cool to see the ideas that were bouncing around in his head that ultimately led to Nausicaa. And then I'm sure people would find their own inspirations from that because, hey, you know, great artists, they steal. So you might as well steal from what he discarded. Yeah, the ohms reminded me right away from like the sand crawlers in Dune. Like that's like the first thing yeah. I thought of when I saw him like chasing down and like how the, how scared people are of him, and just like how dangerous the landscape is. Like you need to have like your mask on and whatnot, or else you'll die. Uh, very sure. Dune related. I just finished reading that book last year, so I I got super hyped for the movie. But um, yeah, that that that's cool. They made that connection too because there was a lot of like uh, just the way everything operates and. Um, what they're chasing after was all very like kind of traditional sci-fi stuff. Yeah. I, I think um, the central conflict too is a little different. Whereas like the, in the movie they're transporting the giant warrior to cleanse the forest. And that's the catalyst for the conflict of the, the movie. One thing I like about the manga, which is, you know, I, I will talk a bit more about the manga because I, I think if everyone's watched the movie and listens to this podcast, like you'll have a great time with the manga. Oh, definitely. But, um, I did that with the Bond books. So by all means, like do any comparisons just to get us more. Oh, for sure. It. Yeah. The Bond books are, are really something special too. But in the manga, the moral conflict is fantastic or even better because the reason the Tolmechians come to the Valley of the Wind is because the Valley of the Wind, despite them being a peaceful nation, they're a vassal state of Tolmechia. And the, the, king, uh, the king of the Valley of the Wind, he's actually a close friend to the Tolmechian emperor. And they actually went on campaign together and was gifted that valley for his efforts. Oh, wow. So um, when Kushana shows up, she's like, well, you're, you're my father's like, best warriors, pretty much. You're like the best airmen. You guys know the forest the best. Like, in fact, you have like this little piece of paradise because you've served our country so well 
And um, when they're all hesitant to, to take part in their campaign, that's what turns Kushana in the first arc initially very spiteful. Because she's like, you guys are like, I can't believe I came here expecting like our land's best warriors and you guys are all cowards now. And um, <laughs> what's even funnier too is Nausicaa is like far more bloodthirsty a character. Like she, she kills a lot of people in the manga. Yeah, like... Wow. Um, like, because they're, they're pretty much almost like, um, it, it's almost like Vikings at peace. Like, they're savage warriors, but you're looking at them at a point of, like, extended peace time. But um, she, she kills, like, the soldiers that enter the castle pretty gruesomely um, to the point where the soldiers are scared to, to enter. Like, she puts a sword down. Like, if anyone crosses the sword, I'll kill you. And, and all the soldiers are kind of like, ooh, I don't want a piece of this. <laughs> and then these are like the heavy night guys, um, which is really funny. And um, That's so cool. the other thing, uh, the other thing too, I find is like you get to see like more of Lord Yupa, where he's like a, a living legend. Um, he's like the the Boba Fett of their universe. Like he's been everywhere, done everything, and like fought in all sorts of battles as a mercenary as well as as like a vassal. That's cool. Um, I was super interested in his character because all of his scenes were just yeah. intense and badass. Every time they go through him, like he gets to a new point, and at first they're like, "Who the hell is this?" And they see just one stance he does with his swords, or just like one move, and they instantly know, like, "Oh my god, that's Lord Yupa." At one point, like yeah. when he boards their ship, they're <laughs> they're like, "Oh my god, it's Lord Yupa, yo." Whoever kills him will become a legend who wants legend, everybody, and they all rush him to their own deaths. I think one thing, sorry, sorry, just to piggyback off of bringing that scene out, I think one thing the movie does really well is if you've ever been to like a country that's had strife or if you've seen a riot before, or even a bar fight, um, one thing I think Miyazaki does really well, almost to the point of comedy, is depicting like how aggro people get. Like when, when they're fighting in the corridor of the plane, they just look so friggin' belligerent. <laughs> like like they, they really get a sense of like senseless violence where, where they're all like taking pot shots at each other yes. from behind, like guys who have already been shot in the front of these like tiny ass corridors. Like it's it's outrageous how like how seriously violent and aggressive that movie is, but like it doesn't really need that much force to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting the way they do it in this film because you have all this violence you're seeing people dying left and right to the point where nausicaa yeah she like takes them out and you're just like oh they're like at first you don't realize it and you're like oh they're dead but they like the way they do it it's so much more so even when they do get very rioty with it it feels nothing ever feels like it's artificial like they're like Mm -hmm. i love to kill it's more like we have to do this or else it's like it very feels like there's no other way and it's just it feels much more part of nature because yeah it's like a naturalistic survival instinct not necessarily like a mongering style where it's like i want the power and all this stuff which there is like power struggle in this but not for the Mm. same sense of just for the sake of power that you get in a lot of modern renditions of like films and books and things I think uh, one thing they do animation-wise or in character acting-wise that depicts that is if you look at every character, they have a very 
even background characters have a great sense of self-preservation. Like you never really see that in fantasy or sci-fi. Like every character does their best to save themselves. Like be it if they're like, uh, for example, when the villagers steal the tank and they drive it over the bridge, a lot of the soldiers like drop their weapons just to like scramble onto a rock and then cling to something so they don't fall off. Mm-hmm. Or um, whenever there's like gunfire or even when they're fighting, everyone makes like a crazy effort to, to hide behind something or at least like make themselves as small a target as possible. Mm-hmm. And like you contrast that with something um, even like, I guess it's something as popular as Star Wars where it's kind of like bad guys line up on one side, good guys line up on the other. Um, I think it's it's a very interesting sense of naturalism, and it takes a lot of effort too uh, to depict, but it pays off. As you said, like these scenes look very realistic, even though they're not realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this definitely also does the same thing of like, hey, we're killing, but also we don't like it, and yeah. they they really emphasize like the route to peace within it, which. I think that's why I like this film so much is because it still has the action I enjoy, but it has like good messaging behind it where it's not just like, oh, like you're not having Schwarzenegger run through like yeah. I'm just going to kill everything. Um, it, you feel each time something like that does happen, you do get a sense of regret uh, from the characters when it takes place, uh, which I've always enjoyed from these types of things just because like, uh, when you look at, I guess, Disney as an example, you know, yeah, every single time they do have the villain, they're like, we killed the villain, guys, the end, everyone's happy, and you're just like, oh, that's... Yeah. <laughs> you watch this, and you go back to it, and you're like, oh, that's pretty fucked up, like, why yeah. would you... <laughs> it's, it's one of those, like, you know, the consequence behind it is really brought out, and we're not accustomed to seeing that, we're accustomed to just killing the evil side, and all right cool the consequences everything's great now when it's actually no there's kind of like a burden that comes with that as well and uh it's not a burden that they address too often um maybe well not anymore but at one point like batman was a big character like that it was the whole no kill role uh, because of the consequence Mm -hmm. that you know that weighs upon you after that and they kind of really strayed away from that because the more we've been watching a lot of the Snyder movies and we've, we've realized that death has no consequence in like any of these movies. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's such a refreshing way to approach a story and it's really um, inspiring and influential at that point for, you know, any creator out there to like, look at the difference between the two. I think um, one one thing that I like about Nausicaa and also like by extension, it's a good East versus West type of thing is like I'm a huge fan of like the military sci-fi genre and I feel like it's, it's such a misunderstood genre because everyone thinks it's like oh it's a bunch of aggro soldiers killing aliens mm-hmm. but um if you look at a lot of the original titles and I would even put Nausicaa in there because it is like a fantasy sci-fi war movie or war fiction um they, they have these really cool undercurrents of you'll make this incredibly grim and brutal world with these incredible uh, down-to-earth struggles but what we'll do is we'll present the story in an up- uplifting and humanistic way and that contrast creates these amazing emotional undertones and i think like not only nausicaa but also mobile suit gundam um you could even say i would say this tradition even goes as far up as uh if you look at james cameron's aliens 
um, there's a really cool investment in the characters because not only are they story driven, but they're character driven and there's no better sense of chaos than a war or a conflict of some sort. And um, it, it's unfortunate that as its popularity grew and then also the advent of video games completely changed the priorities and outlooks of um, these these fictions. Because like uh, Miyazaki, he, he was a, a child who grew up in the shadow of World War II of a defeated nation. So like not only is the, the nation this militaristic, prideful nation, but it also was like completely dominated by a foreign power and then reshaped by it. So I think that type of relevance and proximity to, to violence and, and its effect uh, influenced his work in an incredible way. Whereas like you watch any sort of, I don't think war dramas are even very popular in anime now. So it, it is a rarity both in genre and in specific title. Yeah, that is true, huh? That yeah, is I didn't even true. think about that. Because the at least when you look at modern day anime, which it, it definitely differs than its like eighties, nineties counterparts, but it they get a lot more fantasy based. At least when you see the more violent ones, or like demonic, I would even say demonic at points. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Versus like yeah, looking back at like this period you have miyazaki doing this you have mobile suit gundam you have legend of the galactic heroes and like evangelion and stuff like all these different other ones that are you get a lot more sense of i guess organized country mm -hmm. military type epics yeah that yeah. yeah you don't really get anymore and i i guess i yeah i didn't even think about that until now <laughs> but that's that's it's it's something that um always th that's why I'm I'm kind of happy that military sci-fi did get deformed and deflated because now my stories and work have like a uh, empty market to inherit. However, at the same time, it, it's another reason why Miyazaki seems to have this like he's almost like spiteful uh now where he's like I I made this one war anime and look what it's done it spawned a whole subgenre of nonsense which is like so unfortunate that he feels that way because I think he would never reapproach it because if he made a war movie now, people would watch him and be like, oh, cool, like more Miyazaki violence. So um, people, people wouldn't, wouldn't watch it how he intended. And um, I, I just think that that's like such a, a loss because it, I think he has such a knack for telling those types of stories. Um, like one thing I find really funny is when you look at people, say you type on Twitter and you just put in the search bar uh, Ghibli inspired or Miyazaki inspired. One thing I find is, or you know, a no greater example is on Reddit. They had like 100K upvotes. They had Miyazaki inspired Star Wars. Mm. And um, er everything is, is all cutesy. Um, and, and the thing I remember looking at and being like, this person's an absolute doofus watching Miyazaki films is all the guns were rectangles. I'm like, dude, when have you ever watched a Miyazaki film and the guns, not, even the fictional ones, are presented with these shocking amount of realism? Yeah. And you can tell people are watching his movies and receiving the wrong messages because they miss out on details like that. Like, even with the films that don't include violence, they think the message of the film is just like cottage core. Like, it's just like an aesthetic to them. It's not a, a true film with a true story. Um, 
And I think, uh, so like, like I see why he has this, this bad relationship with modern anime now. And I see why the genre struggles with the vices it does. Well, well, that's so much to respond to that. It's kind of funny um, that right. people thought that, uh, you know, connecting it to Star Wars, because what you were just saying about the countryside kind of army, and in the first thought in my head, I was going to say is like, now everything's a lot like Star Wars, where you have that Imperial Galactic Army that's taking over, and it's a whole huge thing, instead of having kind of a self-contained, that countryside-esque army, you know, fighting and we're following mm-hmm. them. Like, I thought they were just complete opposites, like, and then hearing you, you know, we switch conversations and then people are comparing it, saying that he got influenced. Um, no, like I can't, I can't even say that. I can't even agree with that at all. Like um, mm. it's a total opposite comparison on just like even the containment of these stories, you know, Dune is yeah. a lot more, um, I would say, influential upon each other because it is kind of contained the way they do it. You know, it's the way it's just on yeah. Arrakis and excuse me, in, in one like region on the planet too. And it's kind of like these two tribes kind of going at it with each other. That's so much more relatable than to like a Star Wars comparison of any sort. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Like um, like one thing I like about doing is they, they make no effort to explain specific things to you unless it's relevant to the story at yeah. that moment. Uh-huh. Like um, like they, they just reference las guns. They don't even really tell you if they're lasers or not. They just you just assume that they're just las guns. Yeah, use your imagination. And um, <laughs> I think what's what's funny about that is um, or, or the ornithocopters, for example. Um, you don't know if those things are like helicopters or if they are, they really are just bird things. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, the only notion they really give you is at one point, um, Paul uses a joystick and I was like, okay, so at least you know that they're controlled by some sort of mechanism like that. And, um, I, I felt the same way in Nausicaa. Like, um, the thing I love is her glider is treated like a family heirloom and they have no real notion how it works it's like this really convenient this really cool craft that i feel like the minute you see her on the glider you're like man i wish i had one of those yes yep yeah oh easily oh, for sure yes. and um one thing I, I find really funny is the the aristocratic serfdom it presents when she parks it and then her people her servants they they take care of it when when she comes back home mm-hmm. and um <laughs> It, it just, I guess, leads that like, okay, these things are incredibly rare. They have to be maintained, they have to be cleaned. And like, it's um, a sign of her status that she can just basically park it. And then when she wants it prepared, like she has to tell her servants, like, get my glider ready. It's not something that's like kept in your garage, like a surfboard. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was trying to think what that glider reminded me of. And I couldn't think of where he may have pulled it from but i could think of like a million ways how that glider has been used again in like current media like there's a lot of like batman beyond like it's um characters that were inspired by that mm-hmm. um and even do you remember that batman movie uh it was like the one that introduced batwoman in like the bruce tim universe. oh yeah oh the mask of the bat where there's like three batman. of them yeah yeah yeah. and then they had a glider like that too and i was just like damn all this Mm -hmm. stuff is so uh and you know maybe if you want to know i guess green goblin is the closest thing of a glider that i could say he may have been influenced by but that's kind of far-fetched but that was that was way way older than um the the movie Mm -hmm. like because green goblin existed in the 60s with the original spider-man comic yeah I, i think that a lot of that comes from mythology 
Um, I, I'm not familiar with Eastern phonology, so I don't want to appear ignorant or, or pretentious trying to speak on it. But uh, a good contrast is the Nimbus Cloud from Dragon Ball. Is Goku has a very similar uh, piece of, I guess, equipment, whereas um, his is more spiritual or, or supernatural, whereas Nausicaa's is technological and materialist. Uh -huh. But um, that comes from Journey in the West, where, where the Monkey King... Or I don't even know if it's the Monkey King during the West. So, so forgive me, any listeners who I might be sounding really ignorant now. But uh, a lot of those concepts come from mythology, where it's just simply like this this mythological character had an item that allowed them to go anywhere they please. Whereas Miyazaki interpreted that as like a machine, whereas uh, Toriyama interpreted that as a cloud. And uh, I don't know what quite literally it is, but a lot of those, um, I guess, root inspirations come from mythology. Um, like, I think uh, one that's that's pretty apparent is like the, the warrior gods are very much based in Buddhism and Hinduism. Mm -hmm. I think you can find some, even like visual analogs uh, to how they walk and how they have that spear in their hand. Um, I, I Actually, I wouldn't spoil anything from the manga because the, the points I'll talk about, I want to preserve for anyone who hasn't read it, because I think the joy in that book is how it presents concepts you see in the movie and you see the true light of them and like the extent to how they appear. It's, I mean, sometimes you, you feel like, I can't believe they, before Miyazaki passes away, I feel like they should really bother the shit out of him to, forgive me if you're not, because they should really bother him to make a completed series of movies and it was like a like a full Malco Adamist alchemist um brotherhood where, where they were able oh. to adapt the entire manga into a show i feel like they should do the same for nausicaa because that story to be locked purely on pages and the resources of ghibli i think are are it, it's a no-brainer I, I i feel like it, it, they're doing a disservice to just cut off the story at that point um I think they they might even be doing that for Akira. I don't know if Otomo is spearheading the project, but they they are planning on adapting the entirety of the series because mm -hmm. that's another one where the movie only deals with almost it feels like one percent of the story and scope of the world. And um, like here's a mind-boggling factoid: is like the in the manga, it gets to the point where Akira and the like Kanata's street gangs are fighting over the city, yeah. like in a in a wasteland, and there's like soldiers and like the U.S. invades. Like it's it's like wild. Insane. Yeah, I'm on volume so five many... of that right now, which is super cool that you're even bringing it up because I've seen like the first hour of the film, and that goes up mm -hmm. to like volume two, and then like in volume, I feel like yeah. everything from like volume three to I, I never finished watching the movie, and I'm I'm barely reading the manga for the first time right now, um, but uh it's it's just seeing how much is left out that's super apparent that's left out is like whoa yeah how can you skip over some of this because there's some great moments here and some great action some great scenes yeah um but you're right i, I, I mean, will say that adaptation aspect of like well we got to cut we got to cut but it's like how do you some of these do deserve uh you know maybe a, a trilogy of animated movies or a series of some sort to oh yeah everything Nausicaa, I think, is one of the, the best adaptations because in terms of distilling the essence of something, mm -hmm. I think the only time such a wide fiction has been condensed into an excellent piece of media, like I can not even really think of Speed Racer, 
where it's like if you see the movie you've seen like the soul of the original product uh-huh. you don't have to like like I, I don't feel bad if i was a speed racer fan or even as a nausicaa fan i don't feel bad if someone's just watched the movie and they'll never read the manga mm-hmm. or vice versa because they, they've got the story it's just that you know like you know it's like eating a steak you can have a bite of a steak or a full steak but either way you taste the steak you know what it's like yeah it's true. um I, i'm i'm like super i'm like i'm even more interested to read the manga now um before we you know when i was watching the movie during the week and whatnot i was already looking to like you know maybe i should read the first volume or so because i found a copy and all this and now i'm just like damn i'm gonna dive into that uh as soon as i can because i'm just super interested to see what's different what um what's added to the story in there and kind of compare the two because that's always the fun part is seeing you know always having that extra knowledge of like what goes on between stuff that people miss out and hopefully people do appreciate you know i'm sure a lot of people do um but just like seeing the film and being like all right this was great what does the comic have to offer what does the written word have to offer Mm -hmm. this yeah it's um i I would say it's not like a a case of like even though i'm on the polar opposite of the spectrum a lot of people are i actually love the zack schneider dc movie and um i i was surprised that he would almost use i guess the the essence of the dark knight returns in his way in that movie and one thing i find it's a good like a uh, comparison because zack schneider didn't write the dark knight returns so you can see what like struck out to him and what he took and to use it for what reasons in contrast to miyazaki who wrote both the manga and the film he knew exactly what to deform and what to like edit and what to, I guess, expand on mm-hmm. to basically make it um, into this, like, I guess, both comparable products that are side by side. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a good point. And it's so rare that, you know, the same guy that created whatever series gets to like mm-hmm. create his vision on screen. Um yeah, I want to say maybe Darwin Cook with the New Frontier because he wrote it, and I believe he worked on the animated film. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam- Cameron might know that. I don't know if you do. I I, I don't know for that one. Oh, I, just know, right, cool. I mean, like there there's some more. I guess I would say the more serious portions of it uh, aren't in the movie that you have in the comic, like the whole John Henry Irons portion, oh, like yeah. that the steel stuff, because that's like a lot more. Not controversial, but it's very like, oh, this is real. And you're just like, oh, my God. But, yeah, you see that's taken out at least. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, what an opportunity for him to choose, like, how it's being presented again and how the story is being told. Um, that is almost impossible here, <laughs> like, in the Western universe of how things roll and how things work. Um, but I think you get, like, so much to influence you and inspire you that you're going to want to dive more into his films more into whatever he does next i certainly am and i'm very new to this whole like kind of genre this uh tradition this style mm-hmm. and uh even my girlfriend oh you have a lot of fun oh yeah exactly like i'm, I'm envious i'm envious like i i wish i could re-experience entering anime with like this wealth of content to go through and that's a you know just like that's the daunting part for me but that's like the daunting part when everyone enters the comic book universe of any sort you know what i mean it's just mm-hmm. like you have universes just at your disposal and you're just like where do i start first and this was a great first you know film pick 
definitely. Oh, for real. And I, my my thing, my only piece of advice is be warned it goes quickly like well, all of a sudden you'll snap your fingers and you'll be like well, where's all the, the movies like this and it's like you watch them all dude like it is finite because um people those movies are too expensive to produce now like that that method of filmmaking oh yeah definitely yeah it's, there, it's there's just such a piece of gone. history now yeah and yeah. it's crazy too looking at specifically like when you think of the miyazaki movies you either they're known by one of two names are they they're either called ghibli movies or they're called miyazaki movies and yeah people don't even necessarily call them like anime even and it's very interesting how over time it's become its own form of genre practically that it just alone stands in because you don't really or at least i haven't i don't know about you miles but like i i've never seen animes that are, are like similar to his works but also like mm-hmm. he he stands alone away from western and away from like other anime styles in which it's just its own standalone power in which like i guess the closest you get in animation and that is like disney but even then that feels like so bloated and encompassing in comparison that they definitely feel like i don't know i guess in terms of quality and just the lineup you you get this consistent i guess enjoyment from a ghibli movie that you just like you never hear really bad things and it, it just over time has garnered more fans because you have people also, there's people that don't care about animated anything. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah a Ghibli it, movie. It yeah, I know that. show everyone. Yeah, or even people in the West that don't care about anime know the Ghibli movies still. I've just met like kind people of been... who don't believe Spirited Away, Spirited Away is an anime. Like I've met people who genuinely think that's like just the movie. Oh, really? And, and I'm like... I'm like that's a that's a cartoon made in Japan. That is an anime, and they're like, "What? No, like it's not an anime." <laughs> that's not true. That's impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I totally, I totally get it. And um, one thing I will say though is, is actually had a, a pretty, like, um, I guess anyone who knows me from Twitter, I, I've some very or even just group chats in general. I, I present my ideas very inflammatory and very radically just to get people to talk, which is a very bad way to do it. But <laughs> recently, um, I, I've had a discussion with some of my friends on Twitter because, you know, they'll be moping around and be like, man, I really wish there was a series that had this, this, and this in it. You know, I kind of really, and I'm like, dude, I know three. Like, there's con- that content there for you. But uh, I guess with people recommendations, you know, they never really take you up on it or sometimes they just, are like, uh, I'm not sure, or sometimes they just flat out ignore it. Like, oh, he's suggesting it? No, they're not that. And um, it, it's a shame because you get these subgenres that just kind of get buried and ignored. So I feel like Nausicaa Valley of the Wind is, everyone thinks it's a one-off, but there's actually one other movie I've watched that's given me the same experience that I'll leave in this in this voice note. Uh, not on this podcast. Dude, I want to I want to say Fern Gully as a joke, but um, <laughs> I don't know if you've watched this one before. But have you watched Vampire Hunter D: Bloodlust? I have not. No, I have not. Okay, so so guys, um, one thing I will say with this, like films like this or like a film like Spriggan, is always start out with the Japanese sub because you might you might like the English if you rewatch it or. But some of the stories, it goes from like a, a mindless action movie to like an incredible metaphysical rumination in something. 
Oh, wow. So um, I, I insist on trying to find the Japanese sub version of it, but that, that's the only movie I can say gave me the same sort of jaw-dropping, amazing world of, um, I guess, that Nausicaa gave. And um, from, from extension, I guess, from that is, in fact, there's a, there's a term, I'll say it here for the first time. I call it taste maxing where if, if you see something you really like, right, you find it's really within your taste, you want to find all the lineage and all the influence titles of that particular piece. Like how far forward does it go and how far back does it go? Because yeah. that's the only way you can find like the obscure titles that appeal like so directly to you that, that yeah, it's, you have to go treasure hunting. It, like there comes a point where you can't just find this stuff easily. It gets more obscure, it gets harder, but it, that's the fun of it. Because when you track down a copy or you finally get to watch something you've heard about, it's, it's enjoyable. And sometimes, it, sometimes it's disappointing, which is funny too, where you, you watch something and you're like, I wish this just stayed the movie that I thought it was. But um, that one I'll recommend with confidence. Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust. Um, it's like the same genre. It's anything I'll say from it, but like the thing I like is... Um, if you want to see that that same type of craftsmanship, but I guess this guy, rather than um, actually, to be honest, the director of Vampire Hunter D is one of Zack Snyder's favorite directors. <laughs> like they, he's like when you see his work and you watch a Zack Snyder film, all of a sudden, like a lot of things make sense. And I think it's one of the reasons why Zack Snyder, despite all, a lot of my friends not liking him and the, the flack he gets. From critics, when I watched his movies, I had seen the anime he had seen before, huh. so I, I understood a whole ton of references and like ways he would set up shots or fight scenes and stuff. And I thought it was like amazing, like oh my god, this guy's like, it's like that meme where it's like this guy's just like me. Like, <laughs> I, I thought it was like so funny that um, you know, I felt like I existed in a bubble because. Like, I, I feel like I, I would just talk to the guy about anime if I ever met him. But um, the, the same thing goes for, like, I, I guess I, I, the moral of this, and keep it relevant to the podcast, is, like, stuff with Nausicaa, like, these, these things that feel like one-off gems, they're not. They're, they're actually, like, if, if you found that one, there's a, a nice, like, proliferating series of titles that you can actually get more of. So they are unique. Like, you know, there is no more Valley of the Wind. But uh, if you want, like, movies that are set in sci-fi so far in the future that it feels like fantasy, all the way to naturalistic world-building scenes, like, you can get those. It's just not in the same combination you saw it in Rossigan. That's super interesting. Uh, it's definitely going on our uh, me and Comrade's list to check out uh, in future stuff because him and I are big like Snyder fans. We we do appreciate what he does and like everything he's approached. Um, and that's been part of our big debate over the last like two months of like with everyone else. So it's been really interesting. Yeah, here here kind of still, and you'll hear all the, all yeah. the arguments. <laughs> I I mean I love I love hearing Comrade's podcast, but that's one that like. I'm argumentative as a person. So when I hear like Zack Snyder slander sets me off because I feel like he, he is so misunderstood as an art tour. And this is getting like super sidetracked. But um, even in contrast to Miyazaki, I find um, his genius is like wholly misinterpreted. And I think that's what's caused him a great deal of personal frustration in his interviews 
And um, it's a, it's a bar, bizarre circumstance because I've always thought it was weird, like even to make it, I guess, relevant to myself as well, is when I was in art school, I would draw certain things, like Palmon can attest to this, I would relentlessly draw military sci-fi stuff. And because I'd seen stuff like Nausicaa and was so influenced by it. And um, people who had misinterpreted Miyazaki as an influence, you know, they would see my stuff and they'd think like Years of War or Halo, which I love, but like in a different way. And, and they'd be like, oh, you're just drawing Halo stuff. That's just Halo stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like this, this is like very different. But um, one thing that would keep me motivated is sometimes professors or even fellow students, like one out of 10, would be like, I recognize that. Like, I know where you're getting that from. And all of a sudden, you kind of made a really great friend. So um, thank goodness for the internet, because I, I really thought I was like just a crazy person until I kind of saw the, the community and that, you know, other people like this, like think and feel this way. Uh-huh. Yeah, know exactly what you mean there, 100%. Um, man, wow, this has been like such an extensive like overload of like awesome information. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts on Nausicaa? I'm just like blown away right now. Like I've just right. been like so inspired and I have like a list of things to like look up and mm-hmm. I am going to go read this manga now. Like I am just like, dude, I am so glad that we got you on the show. Cause this was like the perfect episode apparently to put you on. Uh, I, I just want to go do research. <laughs> and dude, I told you. <laughs> I, I'm definitely, I'll say two things. One also, we didn't really talk about it, but, also when people watch this movie i guess it doesn't really matter what dub or sub or anything but listen to the music too it's amazing and just so it's so just serene it there's so much like it's combinations of zen it's combinations of wonder it's combinations of fantasy it's just all these different things and each time it feels very unique and when they do a callback the scenes they do certain pieces of music are so memorable that you know exactly what it's doing when they come back to that specific type of music and it, it works mm-hmm. so well within so that film. He's a genius. Oh, that, that's so much honestly, so. Conrad, I'm glad you brought it up because as much as like I, I wanted to say the English localizations and extension of the art to Miyazaki's own genius, the, the music, like that's something Ghibli films over a lot of films don't have is the, the synthesis between Miyazaki and Joe Hisayashi's scores, I don't think there's very much combinations that potent in cinema in general. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that guy knows exactly how to score those films. Like, it, it's, I, I can't even watch those movies with the sound off. Like, I, I, I can't even, like, I you need the music. Or if you see a GIF, you hear the music as soon as you see it. Yeah. Like uh, the only thing I would say with that level of iconicism is like Star Wars. Right. It's the only type yeah. of Yeah. John Williams with that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, where where you just know a theme or or not so much um I guess realizing where the music's from, but how much the the music elevates what you're seeing on screen. Uh-huh. I think is is like it's one of those examples of just in cinema of like the sheer excellence. That's yeah, a, really good point, Karma. That's so funny that, you know, we did skip over that and you and me have had two conversations about the music like in the past week. Like that was the first thing I told you when I, when I was yeah. watching it. And then <laughs> right before this and I was like, dude, and like the fucking score is so good. And we totally just skipped yeah. over that because and it was just one of my favorite parts. And you could tell it's like 
so beautiful for one because some of those piano pieces are just perfect and it's so 80s at the same time when you get the synth wave stuff going on yeah it's like, so yes, the whole yeah. first half is so synth it's amazing it's yes, so good it's so cool. i will say during this whole recording in my head because it feels so recent but i just have the the little girl song where it's like nah like it's been in my head this entire recording i'm just like literally like i'm just like yeah in my head just like oh yeah here we go such like a mindless uh kind of like childish like jingle like and it but it's so perfect and well put together like as a musician it just blows me away like it just i love it yeah um i was gonna say something else too on the dubs um i typically do always try to watch japanese dubs because i've never Every time I watch stuff like uh, any sort of anime and it has English, it just doesn't seem to match right. I think I got yeah, really lucky by doing the English dubs for this one because of the voice cast. And that's what drew yeah. me into it right away. Um, but if someone, you know, if this is their first attempt into uh, like this type of universe, like this is the perfect place to start with an English dub because the voice acting is just for so sure. amazing. And sometimes they just miss the mark completely. What we were talking about tone and all that earlier totally 100 percent onto that um i didn't really put those two together but uh, this was one of the first times where i had english dub that i was like wow this is still perfect like this is still amazing the only ones i'd ever recommend for english for sure that you could just start off with is honestly like the miyazaki films cowboy bebop and full metal alchemist are like the three i know for sure at least the english versions you'll really enjoy and you could do japanese after but definitely at least uh as i've gotten more and more into anime i've see myself switch to start off Japanese and and then if someone says like oh you know you'll enjoy the English version too then I'm like cool whereas like if you go to Attack on Titan I'm like I can't I can't do English I can't it's not I can't do it I think that the thing for me I used to really be into English uh dubs because of the Ghibli films but the one that kind of broke my my conditioning was um there's an action film called Spriggan and if you watch that in English and it's funny because I've recommended it to people saying it's like this great film they watch it and they're like yeah it was like cool but it was like just like an action movie like i didn't think it was that cool and i'm like you watch it in english or japanese and like english because um i watched that in japanese and it went from like an action film to this like insanely spiritual political thriller like (laughs) it was like really really wild um the the difference but uh that's another film if you want to see some like mind-boggling animation um, stuff that I think even Ghibli didn't really reach to is like is friggin like the effort they put into that movie is like it, it like uh, sorry sorry to sidetrack but Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust and Spriggan are like two movies where you see like a Miyazaki level genius who's got like the bloodshed insanity of Paul Verhoeven like he there's like you know Miyazaki's not the guy who has like a monopoly on good animation. So I, those two movies I love to recommend to people, especially guys who who love like comic book, like you two guys, like comic book action films and James Bond films, like especially Spriggan. Oh, so like uh, yeah, definitely. So super hyped to I, check this out too. Then for yeah. sure, for sure. For those that, uh, Miles and I definitely were just run through. Currently, we're running through. Uh, I've been watching all the Mobile Suit Gundams. So that's we're like... funny. I just started watching that like two weeks ago, dude. I'm only in episode like six or something, but like one like the first Mobile Suit is where I started. Um, and the, the original, brought, yeah. Then you guys brought it up, and I was like, yeah. oh, I'm I'm trying to do that right now too. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah. I'm at the where Miles. Where is Stardust Memory? What what point is that? Like what? Uh, so decade? it's weird. Is is 
that was made in the 90s. And um, it's, it's funny because you can actually, the thing I love about the Gundam series now is, is you can kind of see how the, the, what was cool in that decade gets soaked into the series that it was released in. Um, yeah, so I think Stardust Memories is like 90s. And you can see when they made the, the big effort to make like, it, it's kind of like the spawn of Gundam where they're like, you know, we got to make it cool and edgy now. Like, it's <laughs> like, everything's got to be like, ooh. But, but it's, it's cool though. It's, it's cool. Uh, I dig it. I dig it. It's, it's a good thing you mentioned that just because Brandon's <laughs> been getting really into spawn. So it feels like all these lines are just connecting yes. right now on this episode. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> I, it's, no, it's even crazier, dude. Um, okay, first off, I've been trying to read all the spawn comics, like even all the tie ins and side series, all that. I read like 200 spawn comics in January. Nice. And just now, my dad just texts me that hey you got a package from mcfarlane toys and it's my spawn kickstarter action figure that just got in the mail right now so the fact that all this just happened and it's related to spawn i'm just like hey synchronicity synchronicity it's all it's all fate cameron's just rolling his eyes he's just like damn it more spawn Because you, you bring it up so many times. I'm like, where does this come from? Oh but I just love how it came again. Oh, my God. But, yeah, that's – um, I love that this gets to be our – like, it's just so filled with so much fun and knowledge and information here. I'm happy that I got to get you on here, Miles. And uh, this is our longest show, and I'm yeah. happy it is. Like, yeah, it's, so, no, it's, it's so worth I, it. I, I tend to ramble. I tend to ramble. It was, I'm trying oh, to work it was on good. speaking concisely. Just know just but, uh, rich information in this episode. Like, I'm going to listen back and take notes. Like, <laughs> there's too much cool stuff. <laughs> but uh, closing out here, guys, this has been our fifth episode of Sutra Sidewatch. This is the start of our two Miyazaki movies for this month, which we had Miles on for this, for Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which... Like I said, my favorite of his films. Go check it out. Uh, in a couple weeks, you'll also hear our take on Castle in the Sky, which I'll have another friend of mine on, Alessandra. She'll be uh, talking to us about that as well. So that'll be fun. But I'm glad we also finally got to get our rotating third chair going now uh, in our third month. And hopefully we'll keep it consistent. I'm sure there'll be times where it's just going to be Brandon and I, but we'll definitely see if we can keep getting uh more and different people on here all the all the time and it'll be a good time though i think really fast dude and i I, again there's so many so much information here i forgot to bring up some of my points um (laughs) my and this isn't even like a point of anything but it's more of like something that i realized when i was doing my research was that i was like nausicaa nausicaa that name sounds familiar okay this movie's popular cool i got that but when I was starting off like in some of my first bands, like right out of high school and everything and getting into touring and all that, there was a local El Paso band and they were just the coolest guys in the world. Um, and I, we always played shows with them and they always helped us out with stuff and they were just, and great musicians too. Go look them up, but uh, they're not together anymore, but they were called Nausicaa. <laughs> and uh, this entire time I was just like, why, why does this sound familiar? But like, they were some of my like coolest friends that were musicians and like, we were always playing with them. And once, you know, we started watching the movie, I was like, oh, fuck, this is where they got their name from. And like, what a perfect choice to like snag something. And they spelled it different and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I just had to throw that in. So go look them up. They're an old El Paso band. Um, super nice. cool dudes though. But yeah, it was super cool. like realizing where they pulled their name from finally 10 years later. There you go. <laughs> All right. Miles, where can people find you now? 
So I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have a, as I said before, it's a little inflammatory. The account gets a little spicy at times, but uh, the count of S on Twitter. Um, mainly I just post my art and my ruminations or takes on various subjects and then online arguments here and there, but that's what Twitter's for. Uh, if you want strictly my art, uh, Miles WCD on Instagram. There's no arguments on there. It's just the pictures. So we've got both crowds. And um, yeah, those, those are two places you can find me. And then um, I, I answer my DMs pretty frequently. So if you have a question or even a correction, if I said something that you found out was wrong, want to correct me and let me know, please let me know in those DMs and I'll be happy to discuss anything you want. Yo, Miles WCD, right? Is your Instagram yeah. one? Um, and that's all yeah. your art? Uh, it's it's all the stuff I want to advertise on. Oh. I think the, the Twitter has all the development. Like, I almost offload my thoughts onto Twitter, whereas Instagram's my portfolio, so to speak. Yeah, guys, go check out his art. It's bitching as fuck. I'm looking at, at it right now, <laughs> right when he put it in. I was like, all right, I got to look at this, dude. Uh, good stuff. This is super dope. I'll, uh, yeah, hyped that we made this connection. Um, <laughs> I'm just and- my brain. <laughs> <laughs> right brandon where can people find you man uh check us out on apollo city comics on instagram uh, facebook and twitter and we're streaming on all podcast platforms uh we are on youtube um under the uninformed movie reviews uh channel uh check us out we have our playlist there and uh check me out on again on sutra Sidewatch with cameron every twice a month where the best episodes come out of subscribe cool. And of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter at GoGoComzilla. And of course, you're already listening to Sutra Side Talk, the channel, uh, where you'll find this show. Uh, but you can also follow the, sh- uh, the whole channel on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Sutra Side Talk. And we have three other shows. We got Sutra Side Talk, where it's a weekly uh, gaming movie podcast, where uh, my co-host James and I just talk about all the recent news of the week, plus what we've been watching and playing. Uh, we got The Cut of Steel, which Brandon and I are on. And we talk all the DCEU films, which we currently, at this point, uh, in a couple days, you'll be hearing our fourth episode on Wonder Woman. And then you'll have uh, Joss Whedon's Justice League uh, the day before Snyder Cut comes out. <laughs> so really you could, oh my god, you can listen to that. But uh, And then last, we also have Up To It, Down To It, where actually Miles, myself, and two other of our friends will talk about just kind of like, a random topic and just go off the rails and just talk about anything for it and you'll find all of that under sutra side talk though but with that we'll leave you guys and we'll catch you in a couple weeks with castle in the sky so long later later dudes